Well, today we continue our series entitled Lies We Listen To. This is message number four of a six-week series. And I want to get one thing out of the way, right out of the gate. There's a lie going around that says the Seahawks will not make the Super Bowl next year. And that's a lie. In fact, in the early service today, our number one Seahawk fan guaranteed me a Super Bowl appearance. And that number one fan is one of our senior saints, one of our uh, women, and her name is Peggy Gwynn. How many know Peggy? She says, for sure, we're going next year. And so, uh, you know, some of you that are uh, a little bit uh, ambivalent, I want you to know uh, during this Super Bowl season that the Hawks will be there again next year. Start planning, buy your chips and dip now. Put them in storage and get ready. Well, I read uh, something here recently that uh, really caught my, my eye. I'd read stuff like this before, but it kind of hit me in a different way. And according to uh, some, some different studies that were done, uh, experts are talking about the illusory truth effect. It's the tendency to believe things that are known to be false and take them as true just because they're familiar. In fact, to get more specific, the study found that familiarity can overpower rationality and the, repeti uh, and, and the repetition uh, of hearing that certain statement over and over again, even though it's known to be wrong, paradoxically is taken as being right. Go figure. People are believing the familiar over the, over the true. And that's why it's so important for us to talk about the lies we listen to, because there are so many lies and so many things out there that are just uh, sucker-punching people left and right. We need to pray, like we've said every single week of this series, we need to pray for real eyes to realize the real, li real uh, lies. What's the, a lie from truth? What's the real lies from truth? We need to really pray that God will help us. Now, we said over and over, we don't want to buy the lie. Don't buy the lie. Don't buy the lie. That's been kind of a con constant refrain. Don't buy the lie. Ask God to give you uh, real eyes to realize the real lies. Um, we have this little uh, word cloud that, that we pop up every so often that really kind of describes what we do to ourselves. We minimize, we trivialize, we, we demonize ourselves over and over again. And God says, don't do that. Don't, don't listen to those lies. Don't buy into those lies. In fact, turn to your neighbor right now and say, stop listening to the lies. Go ahead and do that. Stop listening to the lies. Stop it. There are at least five sources of lies that we've talked about. There's probably more. But Satan, uh, we ourselves tell each other lies. Um, uh, circumstances, uh, you know, society or the world or other people. In fact, I think we have a slide with these five on it. Let's go ahead and jump to that. But there's five different sources of lies. And I want you to think about all those, but I particularly want you to think about the lies we tell ourselves. Sometimes we can be like we're on a hamster wheel, and we're just going round and round and round, obsessed, 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 by all sorts of neg negative, critical, uh, untruthful thinking, and it just discourages us and wears us out. And we get disappointed in our marriage, and we get disappointed with our families, and we get disappointed with life, and we get disappointed with other people, and, and we just get worked up and, and worn out because we listen to these lies. And the challenge of this series is to stand up to those lies, not, not listen to them. You know, a lot of times we, we scoff and mock the first, first humans, Adam and Eve. We go, how could they be so dumb? The serpent comes on the scene and says, hey, 
you're certainly not going to die if you eat the forbidden fruit. In fact, if you eat it, you're going to be smart as God. And of course, they bought the lie, and we say, how could they have been so dumb, and yet we're buying lies all the time, right? Right. We buy lies all the time. We've been looking at four lies so far. The first one is, I am useless. It's easy to throw a pity party for ourselves and say, I'm useless. And there may be some substantiating reasons for that. Maybe there's some injustice gathering that we do to make a case for that. We talked week number one about the lad with the lunch. Remember Jesus feeding the 5,000? There was a a lad that had, you know, a few fish and a few pieces of bread, and Jesus multiplied it and fed 5,000 people. And in that day and age, we made this statement a a few times, a, a, a boy like him would have been useless. No value, really. It was an adult world, and it was an adult male world. But notice what made him useful. See, it's never a question of value. We are already valuable to Jesus. Jesus proved that when he died on the cross for you. And he died on the cross for me. He said, you mean the world to me. I'm going to give my life for you. It's never a a question of value, usefulness. It's a question of obedience. This boy gave what he had. He served where he could. And he obeyed when he was asked. Give, serve, obey. That's how you prove to be useful. And every one of us can do that. Every single one of us. We're all useful. The second week, we talked about the man who was tormented in the tombs. And he said, I'm hopeless, I'm hopeless. He was demon-possessed, he was chained up, people hated him, they had no regard for him, he was, he was uh, absolutely hopeless, no way to break free from the literal change or the spiritual chains until he met Jesus. And here's the point, we are never truly hopeless because we always have Jesus, amen? Always have Jesus. So no matter how Stacked against us, the odds of life are, just like they were for that man tormented in the tombs. We always have hope. Jesus freed him. He liberated him. He healed him. Last week, we talked about, I feel helpless. There was a man who had been an invalid for 38 years, and he went to the pool of Bethesda, and he hoped to fall into the curative waters so that he could be healed. It was a Roman shrine for healing, where where the Roman and Greek gods were, were celebrated for healing. But the shrine didn't heal. And curative waters didn't heal. But after 38 years of paralysis, Jesus came on the scene and asked him, do you want to be healed? And the man says, I have no one to help me get into the water. And Jesus says, pick up your mat and walk. Healed him in that moment. You see, we are never, ever helpless, no matter how helpless we may feel, because we always have a somebody, and that somebody is a Savior. His name is Jesus. Can I hear a big amen? We are never, ever truly helpless. And today I want to talk about powerlessness. We are never truly powerless because we have Jesus. There's a definition for powerlessness that I think will ring a bell for all of us. You ever felt this way? Powerlessness derives from a lack of decision-making power. The inability to enact choices, the belief you lack control or influence over present factors and or the exposure to disrespectful treatment that results in occupying a marginal status. My wife and I watched a documentary recently called Retrograde. Some of you may have seen it. It's basically a story of the pullout from Afghanistan. Of course, our oldest son was there, and so that resonates with us in a very profound way. And just to kind of watch that documentary, see some of those scenes again, 
I saw powerlessness all over the place. I'll never get the image out of my mind of that young mommy holding her little baby and just weeping. The Taliban is coming in hot. The last plane is leaving, and she is stuck. No path forward, no way out. Powerless. Recently, I have a friend who uh, lived in Vietnam, had four little children. Her husband abandoned her, left her for another woman, and she's stranded there. No livelihood, no income in a society where there weren't really a lot of occupational opportunities for women. And she knew she had to get to America, but her sister left and barely made it, almost drowned on the way over. But she persevered. Make a long story short, she made it. And every time I go in to have her cut my hair, she doesn't have much to work with, but she's a great <laughs> barber. Um, she calls us the short hair family. You know, I got two boys in the military, and we all get short hair, high and tight. But every time I go in, she's a devout Catholic, and she knows I'm a pastor, and she says, Rob, Rob, I don't know where I'd be without God. I don't know where I'd be. Oh, oh. God is so good. I can't believe it that we're here. I can't believe it that I have a business. And by the way, her kids did outstanding uh, and are doing outstanding in life, and it's an incredible testimony to her. But there were seasons, as she describes it, of powerlessness. No perceivable path forward, no way out. Every day we look in the news, on the internet, everywhere, and there are examples, stories of powerlessness and pain. Meyer Clinic says this, powerlessness experienced by many, many people, but they particularly point these folks out. Victims of sexual, physical, or emotional abuse, victims of violent crime, those losing a family member to suicide or disease, people growing up with a dysfunctional or absent parent, one with mental illness or narcissistic or abusive or other. The consequences of powerlessness always are the same. Pain, deep-seated pain, deep-seated emotional pain, emotional pain. But because Jesus is always with me, I am never powerless. That's the sermon in a sentence. Jesus said, with man, all things are impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Amen? And so we may feel powerless. We may feel like there's no way out, no path forward. But the reality is, that's a lie because Jesus is with us. It doesn't mean life won't be difficult and won't be hard and there's gonna be challenges that are bigger than life, but we are never ever alone because somebody is always with us and that somebody is Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. And so we take great hope in that. Today I wanna to invite you to turn with me to John chapter four. As we look at the story of Jesus encountering the Samaritan woman, you want an example of powerlessness in the Bible, this is a great place to start. It's a long passage, so I'm going to read a little bit, highlight other places, and then make a couple of observations before we bring it back together and make some application points. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria, and he went through a town in Samaria, and he meets a woman at a well. Take a look at this map. For those of you familiar with the Holy Land, you know that uh, you go from Jerusalem through Judea, and to get to Galilee, you have to pass through Samaria. Now, I find this a very, very interesting 
uh, story because in Acts 1.8, it says, you will be my witnesses. You'll receive power, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. That's a great missionary verse that we'll talk about in a couple of weeks. But notice on the map, Jerusalem, and then the greater surrounding area of Judea, and then the bigger surrounding area of Samaria, and then, of course, the ends of the earth. Well, Jesus is trying to get to uh, the Sea of Galilee, where he did a lot of his ministry, but he's got to go through Samaria. And he goes to Samaria, and he meets this woman. Now, let me say this before I go any further. In that day and age, in that culture, in that society, women were an afterthought. They were demeaned. They were belittled. They were uh, abused. They were mistreated. But never, ever by Jesus. Jesus loved all people. He loved women in the most biblical, godly sense you can imagine. His care was genuine. His authenticity was true. He saw them as sisters that he wanted to reach out to, and certainly they were his daughters, uh, but he wanted to raise them uh, up in the faith and help them find hope through Almighty God. I think about that often as I look at Christ encounters and how he treated and loved women in such a powerful, exemplified manner. And we see that again here in this story. When the Samaritan woman came out to draw water, Jesus said, hey, will you give me something to drink? And the Samaritan woman said, hey, wait. You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. You're a man and I'm a woman. She knew what everybody knew, and that is Jews and Samaritans hated each other. They hated each other. And they never talked to each other, and they never had anything to do with each other. And men and women didn't talk to each other either. And she says, hey, wait a second. You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. You're a man. I'm a woman. This isn't supposed to be happening. And yet we see Jesus once again reaching out to anybody and everybody he possibly could to share the hope of everlasting life. He came to introduce her to living water. She may have been a Samaritan, she may have been a woman, but she was someone who desperately needed to find hope in Christ. Everybody, everybody needs the Lord, amen? Everybody needs the Lord. Jew, Gentile, Jew, Samaritan, whatever description, whatever culture, whatever ethnicity, whatever social strata, Jesus came to reach everybody. And that message is so profound here. He said, if you knew the gift of God, who is that asks you for a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. She's talking about kind of a linear plane and he goes 3D on her. She wants to get him some water out of the well to drink. He says, I want to talk to you about your soul. I want to talk about something more important. I want to talk about something very, very spiritual. And they continue the dialogue and it's a powerful, powerful part of the story. In verse 16, he says, go call your husband and then come back. She says, I have no husband. He says, you're right. You've been married five times. And the sixth, the man you're living with now, won't even marry you. You talk about emotional pain. You talk about a woman who's been broken in a hundred pieces. Her heart's been shattered. In that day, there was no livelihood outside of connecting to a man through marriage. 
And the fact she had been married five times and now she's with a guy that won't even marry her and maybe she had lived with other men that wouldn't even marry her. We don't know that part of the story. The fact of the matter is she had been abused and mistreated and used up and kicked to the curb over and over and over and over and over again. Powerlessness. No way out. No path forward. She was broken emotionally and other ways too. Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband. You're right. The fact is you've been married five times and the man you're with right now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. She's taken back going, how does he know this? How does he know me? Why does he care about me? Why is he talking to me about forgiveness and everlasting life and hope eternal? Who am I? Why would he a man? Why would he a Jew? show any interest in me. And the Bible says that she left her water jar and she went back to the town, verse 28, and said, you got to come meet this guy. Could he be the Messiah? They came out of the town and they made their way toward him. And many of the Samaritans from the town believed because of the, G, because of the Samaritan woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So they came and met him and they said, Jesus, you need to stay. You need to stay. And one by one, they began to believe in him. And then some of her fellow townspeople said, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the savior of the world. It's a powerful story of an entire community coming to faith in Christ through the story and witness of a broken woman. It reminds me of several things. Our story is very important. You want to help lead people to faith in Jesus Christ? Just tell your story. You don't have to be a theologian or a theological major or know everything about the Bible. Just simply tell your story. <laughs> I went to the well to draw water. I met this guy I'd never met before. He starts talking to me about living water and eternal life. He tells me I've had five husbands and I'm living with another one and he offers me hope eternal. Who does that? Jesus does that. And we just tell our story. From a life of being used, discarded, depending on men and others, she realized her true value maybe for the very first time. Powerlessness always equals pain and helplessness and hopelessness. For her, there was no way out. For her, there was no other path forward. I want you to join me in just sitting and soaking in the reality of this woman's story for just a few more minutes before we move on. If you were to describe her story, how would you describe it? You've been married five times and the man you're living with is not your husband. You've been abused, you've been abused, you've been forgotten, you've been rejected, you've been demeaned, you've been... Uh, destroyed emotionally in other ways. I wrote down a few words that jump out to me about powerlessness, especially in light of this woman. Powerlessness can be very suffocating. We can feel like we can't even breathe. It's just suffocating. It's overwhelming and difficult. I think we have a slide with some of these words on it. There you go. It can be demoralizing. It can be demeaning. 
for her, how disrespectful can it get? Abused, used, no value, no love, no appreciation. She had no choice because she had no voice. No way forward, no way out. Her personhood was shattered. I've said many times, and you've studied yourself, that each one of us have been stamped with the image of God, the Imago Dei, and we all have great value in Christ. She was about as far from understanding that as anybody ever could. The only message she ever got was you're useless, you're hopeless, you're helpless, you're insignificant, and all sorts of other lies. Powerlessness was her plight until she met Jesus. And once she met Jesus, friends, everything changed. Once we meet Jesus, everything changes. Doesn't mean hardship cease, it means the trajectory, the direction, the future of our life is on a completely different direction. And that was true for her. It's an amazing story. Let's think a little more about her story. How do we find power in our powerlessness? Some of you here might feel powerless. You might feel close to powerless. You might describe it with another word, but you can identify with this woman at one point or another. I want you to look at five things she did that we need to do if we want to move from powerlessness to finding power in Jesus Christ. The first thing she did is she listened. She listened to Jesus. How do we do that today? We read the Bible, we spend time thinking about the Bible, we listen to the Holy Spirit speak to our heart through the Bible, and we spend time. When is the last time you meditated and thought about the teachings of Christ and the things of Christ? I find that to be some of the most helpful parts of my spiritual discipline is just to spend time thinking, meditating, reflecting on God's word and what it means and how it needs to be fleshed out. She also learned She learned from Jesus. She listened, and then she learned. You know, you read that text, and you see over and over again that she was in a dialogue, and she was listening and going back, and there was was learning going on. You know, when you start repeating and you start living, in our case, what the Lord tells us to do, we see there's learning. Number three, she lamented. She lamented with Jesus. I think this is a very, very important one. This is one that is so easy for us as Christians to to kind of overshoot. You know, many Christians think, you know, I got to kind of have it all together, and, you know, God is great, so how can I suffer? And, you know, their theology is all whacked up. The reality is we're going to heaven where everything is going to be perfect one day. How many agree with that and can say a big amen? But how many can similarly say, we ain't there yet? And between now and then, it's going to be a little challenging. There's going to be a few hardships. There's going to be a few obstacles. There's going to be a few adversities. And how we deal with it and with whom we deal with it matters immensely. And what I love about it is that Jesus and she had a very frank and a very straightforward conversation about what was going right and mostly what was going wrong in her life. The only thing going right is she was meeting Jesus for the first time, but everything else was pretty crazy. She'd been married five times, kicked to the curb, emotionally destroyed. She's now with a sixth guy that you know, doesn't even care enough to marry her, so she has no security. And who, who others maybe she had experienced that with, and who knows about other things in her life, but things were very, very uh, much on thin ice for this woman. 
But she had this dialogue, this ongoing dialogue. What do you need to lay at the feet of Jesus today? You see, the more I think about it, there is so much in life that is out of my control. Have kids, and you'll understand that quickly. Have grandkids, and you understand it even more. Your kids grow up, they leave, they do dangerous things, and it's like, okay, I have no control. The Bible says don't worry, so what can I do? I want to control or worry. Those are the two things I'm the best at. There's no other option. And maybe you're kind of in that zone right now where you need to say, Lord, I need to humble myself. I need to trust you. I need to trust you. I need to not worry, not fret, not be bound and burdened by anxiety, and I need to trust in you. And I am inspired by this encounter between this woman and Jesus and how it all was laid out and there was some real lamenting going on. Then the, the, the fourth thing that jumps out to me, and this may be more figurative, but I also think it's very spiritual, but it says that she left Jesus And here's the picture I want to leave with you because this is the picture that's left with me. She left her burdens. She left her sorrows. She left her hurts. She left her broken, fragmented heart. She left her broken emotions with Jesus and she went home to tell people about what had happened. She left it with the Lord. The Bible says, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. Anybody have any cares out there? Let me see your hand or is it just me here today? Lots of cares. You can't go through life without cares. If you don't have any cares, you're not thinking deeply enough. There's lots of things to be concerned about. Cast all your cares on me because I care for you. I see that she left it, and she left it with Jesus, and from that point on, she led a life. She led a life empowered by Jesus. So for us, we listen, we learn, we lament, we leave, we lead. She listened to Jesus, we should. She learned from Jesus, hopefully we will. She lamented with Jesus, we need to do that. She left her sorrows with Jesus, and from that point out, she led a new life empowered by Jesus Christ. That's the fifth and the final one. As we close in just the few moments that we have, I want to share with you some verses that are very impactful to me, kind of under this heading, how do I overcome when I'm overwhelmed? How do I overcome when I'm overwhelmed? As we take this whole story of this woman who's broken and fragmented and emotionally uh, distraught, and we apply it to our own life, and we think of the challenges and concerns and the worries and the frets that we have, how do I overcome How do I overcome those? Let me share a few key scriptures. The first one I want to get, and by the way, these are all uh, on the sermon notes online. If you have the app, if you open up the sermon notes, you'll see all these listed. I won't have time maybe to get through all 13 of them. I don't plan to, uh, but let me do the first three or four and see where we're at. Philippians 4.8, finally, whosoever is true, whatsoever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, think on these things. I've underlined the word true. We're talking about Don't listen to lies. What lies are you? What lies am I listening to? We need to say, Lord, help me focus on what's true. Let me focus on what is absolutely true. All the other stuff, 
not as important, but let me really, really focus on what's true. Jesus is good. Jesus is wise. Jesus is with me every step of the way. Jesus will care for me. What is true? What is true? What can I count on? What are the facts of the matter as I find my way through a difficult situation? That's one of the ways I overcome when overwhelmed. Look at 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. I already touched on part of this verse, but it says, humble yourself before the Lord. In other words, think more highly of God than you think of yourself, and then cast all your cares on him. Why? Because he cares. He cares. He cares for you. Cast all your cares on him. We like to carry our cares. We like to get a big backpack and have all of our cares right there. So uh, if we need to be codependent on any of them, boom, we can pull them out and focus on them. No, focus on Jesus. Focus on Jesus, the deliverer, the savior, the redeemer, the healer, the helper, the hope giver. How about Psalm 94, 19? When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy. I wonder if the woman in the well ever found her way through the Psalms. How about you and me? When anxiety was great within us, are we turning to his consolation who will bring us joy? I know within the sound of my voice, in the main auditorium here, in the chapel, those of you Dear friends listening online and everybody online, thank you. You're a part of our church family as much as anybody. We thank you for being with us. How about you online? How about you here in the worship center? How about those that are in the chapel? We already talked in the early service about this and others will pick up the message throughout the week. What anxiety is great within you? Where do you need God's consolation, comfort, and help? In Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8, it says, Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. And then the rest of that verse describes a picture of what it means to have confidence in him. That's the person that'll be a tree planted by water that sends, its roots, uh, sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. It le- its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Reminds me of Psalm chapter one. What a great scripture. One more slide. Isaiah 26, three and four, you will keep in perfect peace whose mind is steadfast because they trust in you. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord, the Lord himself is the rock eternal. How do you overcome when overwhelmed? It matters where you focus. It matters upon whom you focus. And one final verse, you see it on the screen there. Matthew, Jesus said, come to me all you are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. The woman at the well met a gentle man, Jesus, who just so happened to be the Savior of the world. And her life was completely transformed. Not only hers, but all of those friends of hers from her town as they placed their belief and trust in Christ. Would you bow your heads with me? Let me ask you a question as we close this service. Where do you feel powerless and where do you need God's power today? Where do you feel powerless? Where do you need, where do you feel God's power today? I know people within our church family that are struggling with grief and loss at the loss of a loved one. Others that are going through a divorce and their life is shattered and the future unknown. 
people who have just experienced a financial setback or future uncertainty of one kind or another. Many others who are dealing with disappointments and fear and anxiety and in a word, no path forward, no way out. How many within the sound of my voice here in the chapel, here in the main service, those online, even if I can't see you, God can, but you would raise a hand with every head bowed and eye closed. You would raise a hand and say, Rob, I'm experiencing some really difficult times right now. I feel powerless or I'm going through a challenge. I need God's help. I need God's power. I need God's power. Would you just raise your hand and hold it there? Just hold it high. Nobody looking around. Just between you and the Lord. I need God's help. I need God's intervention. I need him to make himself known to me in this particular circumstance. It's really trying. It's really difficult. I feel worried. I feel bound with fear. I'm broken. My heart's been smashed into a thousand pieces. Lord, you see our hands. And just like you knew everything about the woman at the well, you know everything about us, and you know everything about the circumstance signified by every raised hand. There is nothing beyond your awareness. And Lord, I pray, I pray that you'll minister to us at our point of need. You'll meet us, God, right where we're at. God, you will deliver us. You'll bring emotional healing to those that need it. And you'll make a way where there is no way. May everyone, through Christ, see a path forward and a way out. Empower, give hope, help, comfort, and strengthen. If you're here today and you've not committed your life to Jesus, or maybe you've known the Lord and you've kind of fallen away, but today you want to commit or recommit your life to Jesus, I invite you to do that. We never want a service to go by where we don't give the greatest invitation of every invitation possible. Come to Jesus. The same message Jesus was giving to the woman at the well, I offer you eternal life. Drink living water. Come to me. Know me. Experience my love and forgiveness. I want to give you eternal life. I encourage you just to pray, Lord, I commit my life to you or I recommit my life to you. And if you make that kind of a commitment, would you take that connection card? It's in front of you or online if you're online. Fill it out, drop it in the back, uh, black box on the back wall on your way out. I want to pray for you this week. I want you to be aware of some steps that can help you in your newfound faith. Lord, we pray for your ongoing work in all of our lives. There's nothing more important than to know you and to make you known. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. I'm gonna invite you to stand. Our prayer team is gonna come at this time. Our host pastor in the chapel and online will lead those services. We're gonna sing a closing song. Come for prayer. We wanna pray with you. And then we'll be dismissed in a few moments. God bless you and thank you so much for being here.